Welcome to the Leading Visionaries Podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established leading visionaries. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate and spotlight the leading visionaries who are thinking differently, seeing new possibilities, have the courage to dream big, take inspired action, and create conscious change all around the world. Now, here's your host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Leading Visionaries podcast, where we celebrate the ingenious, insightful, innovative, and inspired leading visionaries of our time and provide our listeners with world-class examples of the kind of courage, clarity, and confidence it takes to bring visions into reality. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our special guest, Larry Grogan. For eight years, Larry and his dog, Scrappy, were a pet therapy team at a local children's hospital. During those years, Larry was a witness to the healing power of not only Scrappy, but all pet therapy dogs. When Scrappy passed away, Larry turned to writing as his own personal therapy. That reflection spawned A Tale of Love, Life Lessons from Scrappy, a Pet Therapy Dog, which is his book. And today, Larry is on a mission to quadruple the number of certified pet therapy teams in the United States in order to address the mental health crisis on our college campuses. And Larry, I am so delighted to have you here on the show today. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to join you. Well, I remember when we met, Larry, we met at the National Publicity Summit, and I remember hearing you speak about your work, and I immediately knew that you were not only a leader, not only a visionary, but somebody who really had an important message and had a vision that I wanted to put some of my energy and power towards. So thank you so much for showing up. And I want to talk to you. I want to start our conversation, Larry, with, you know, what was it that brought you into becoming a pet therapy team to begin with? Well, honestly, much like the book, it was something of an accident, to be perfectly honest with you. We had relocated from upstate New York to where I am now in Tennessee. And I was out with Scrappy playing in the yard and one of the neighbors was out with her dog and she mentioned pet therapy. And honestly, I'd never had heard of pet therapy before, but it piqued my attention and got me interested. And there's a a children's hospital here in town. It's affiliated with St. Jude's Hospital in Memphis. And so I just picked up the phone, inquired about it, and ironically, they had some training coming up within a few weeks and decided to enroll in it. And we went through six weeks of training, and then after that, started going to the children's hospital. So, Larry, tell me a little bit about your background. Was this a thing that you were just doing voluntarily? Was this like a hobby? Was this something that you decided you wanted to generate money doing? Like, tell me a little bit about where were you at in your own personal journey when you said yes to this kind of unusual and out of the blue calling? (laughs) That's a great question, because when we moved to Tennessee, we moved pretty much sight unseen. We didn't know anyone. 
So getting involved in pet therapy was really an opportunity to engage with the community. This is a very small town. We're talking 60, 65,000 people. And the hospital is really the mainstay of the community. It's by far the largest employer and it's by far the largest institution or the most important institution in our area for what it provides. And so it was an opportunity for Scrappy and I to get to know people, but to engage in the community, learn about what was going on and where the interest was, who the people were, and get engaged at a very grassroots level to understand the significance of the community that we had just moved into. And so were you retired at that point or did you have a full-time job and this was something that you were doing on the side? Like, tell us a little bit about that as well, Larry. No, I, I was not retired. I'm still not retired. But this was just something that as a volunteer, okay. uh, I felt was important to do. I knew Scrappy was the type of dog that was just perfect for this type of role. She was small. She weighed five pounds. She sat on my forearm so I could carry her around. And she just loved people. And that's what pet therapy is really all about from a dog perspective, is to enjoy being around other people and allow them to touch her and pet her and play with her and do those things that we love to do with our own dogs. But this is just a 100% volunteer opportunity on our part. Well, so that's really interesting because a lot of the people that I interview who are on the show are here because they are doing, you know, they're bringing a vision into reality and simultaneously are looking for compensation for that. You're my first philanthropic leading visionary. So that's very exciting. And I want to celebrate that. So let's talk about what it takes to be a visionary who is you know, has this big mission. I mean, this is a fairly big mission that you have devoted yourself to, to quadruple the number of certified pet therapy teams in the United States in order to address the mental health crisis on our college campuses. Let's talk about like, how did that mission and vision come into your awareness? Because there are plenty of people who could have just taken Scrappy and done the thing at the local hospital and that would have been it. And maybe, you know, when it was time for Scrappy to go over the rainbow bridge, they might've gotten another dog and just kept Mm -hmm. doing that same thing. You have taken this to a whole other level. You've written a book, you have this bigger mission, and you're still doing it philanthropically. So I'm very curious to hear how that whole thing evolved. Well, of course, after the book was published, it gave me the opportunity to get feedback from people who had purchased and read the book. But then it also gave me the opportunity to continue to do research. And the research that I focused on was the fact that when I would do book signings, for example, I would invite a local pet therapy organization to join me. So we were in Aurora, Colorado, doing a book signing, and a local group came out. And I just started talking with them. And one of the people in that group said, Larry, we're one of the largest pet therapy organizations in the country. They have 300 volunteers, just this one organization. She goes, I could have 1,300 and still not have enough. Mm -hmm. She goes, we are constantly having to turn down the request to go and provide pet therapy services. Mm 
That's what prompted my thinking. And from that, I began to realize that the number of students that we have in this country compared to the number of certified pet therapy teams is just an irrational comparison. It just doesn't work. There's only 50,000 certified pet therapy teams in the United States, but there's nearly 70 million students if you include K through 12 and college. That's one for every 1,400, you know, one dog for every 1,400 students. So it just doesn't work. So you have to treat it like an elephant. You take it one bite at a time. And you start to break it down a little bit, and you begin to understand that college campuses is really the ideal place to start for a couple of reasons. One, it's a defined community. You know, college campuses are limited to the number of people on that campus. Secondly, about 60% of them claim they have pet therapy. It's true, but here's the claim. The claim is they bring pet therapy on during exam times. Well, as I tell them, that's the perfect solution if you think students only deal with mental health during exams. And we all know better than that. But then you start thinking about this generation of college students and the ones coming behind them and their struggles. These are students that have had to deal with COVID. They've had to deal with school shootings and unfortunately more school shootings. And so this is a generation of students that have truly been traumatized, not just emotionally, but mentally as well. And that impact has negatively affected their socialization skills, their ability to learn, and just a number of other things that they just have to deal with in their normal course of trying to learn and how to deal with life situations. So knowing that, and our experience at the Children's Hospital with Scrappy and other pet therapy dogs and the other organizations across the country that we've worked with, I began to realize that the place to do this is not only on the college campus, but to have the college campus do it themselves. We need to engage the students, the faculty, and the staff to bring their dogs those that want to learn about pet therapy and those that want to become pet therapists and do it right there on campus. I describe it as pet therapy by the campus for the campus. And so this is a way that we can very quickly build those numbers from 50 to 200,000 if we get enough college campuses actively involved in the training process. So, Larry, you're just one of those remarkable people that truly is ingenious, truly is insightful, and truly is innovative. And again, I want to come back to where do you find the time and the energy <laughs> and the attention and the money if you're still working a full-time job? I mean, this is a full-blown philanthropic organizational vision. At what point is it got to be more than just Larry? And at what point does monetization come into the equation so that it can be perpetuated? Because what you're doing is remarkable. Yeah, there, there's several things going on, and you're absolutely right. Number one, where do I find the time? As you well know, there are certain things in life that just require the effort. It's too important not to do this. Mm -hmm. 
That's the way I approach it. Secondly, I have formed another organization. It's called Delta Omega Gamma, D-O-G, Delta Omega Gamma Campus Life Pet Therapy. And so with the focus on college life, the Greek alphabet came very handy there. But what I'm doing now is beginning to approach a variety of different colleges and universities whenever I travel. I do travel for work. So if I know I'm going to be somewhere, I reach out to those institutions and find out who I need to speak with, why I want to speak with them, and begin to lay that groundwork. So through Delta Omega Gamma, I have built a business model that still makes it very reasonable and affordable to be compensated. I'm also reaching out to corporate sponsors to get involved that are not only pet-related, but have an interest in being associated with aiding the betterment of our mental health of our college students. Mm-hmm. So there will be money you know, rolling back and forth. It, this isn't going to make me retired, trust me, but it will get the ball rolling. And what I hope to be able to accomplish through all this is really two things. One is to get pet therapy full-time on campus, instead of just part-time during exams. But the other very important thing to understand about pet therapy and the philanthropists that participate in pet therapy is that we're an aging population. You can tell by the color of my hair that most other pet therapists are the same color. And so what we've got to do is build that next generation of pet therapists to take our place. Mm. Because that 50000 that we currently have is always going to stay 50000 until we take a bolder step. Mm. And that's what I hope to accomplish by getting college students, faculty, and staff involved. But it's really going to be those college students that not only receive the benefits of accepting the love of dogs and animals as pet therapy, but then they're going to take the mantle and move forward and become pet therapists of their own. That's how we're going to get from 50 to 200. You're just such an extraordinary man, Larry Grogan. I am so grateful that you're here. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to let you know where you can find out more about Larry and maybe raise your hand to participate in his organization and his vision. But right now, listeners, are you a leading visionary or in the role of leading other visionaries? Consider joining our community and sharing your feedback and takeaways from each episode. We invite you to join us and to support this podcast by making a donation at www.leadingvisionariespodcast.com. Interested in finding out more about how you can receive support for getting your vision out of the air and onto the ground? You can apply to qualify for a complimentary consultation with me or a member of my team by clicking the Connect with Angel button on the website. Be sure to share this show and your own spirals of influence with the people who you think might benefit from our content. I want to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We're welcoming thousands and thousands of downloads from all over the world. And I want to shout out this week to our listeners in Tennessee and in doggy heaven, wherever that may be. And we will be right back with Larry Grogan. 
The Leading Visionaries podcast is brought to you by the Creative Age Consulting Group. Are you the one who thinks differently, who is called to create a significant conscious change in the world, who is seeing and dreaming of a better way for your industry, your community, humanity? Creative Age Consulting Group is hired to guide leading visionaries just like you who want to break through the static in order to clearly express and confidently enroll support for their vision in a way that makes it inevitable that it will come to pass. Your word is your wand, and as the leader, your ability to articulate and communicate your vision is essential to its materialization and monetization. Please enjoy with our compliments a free copy of the book, Be Heard by Millions and Live Your Destiny, which was a number one new release in three categories to get you started. The book is yours by visiting gift.leadingvisionariespodcast.com. And we are back with Larry Grogan. You can find out more about Larry and get his book, A Tale of Love, at ataleoflove.com. That's spelled A-T-A-I-L-O-F-L-O-V-E.com. And I'm sure when you get there, you can find out more about how you can support Larry and his mission. So, Larry, before we went to the break, we were talking about, like, how do you take a mission like this when you've got a full-time job? And be able to manage and navigate and grow a vision philanthropically. And so I am really excited to now ask you, like one of the things you said before the break was there are some things that you just can't not do, right? And I think for many leading visionaries, that's where we stand. It's like I, even if it's completely out of the blue, innovative thing that nobody's ever thought of before, it's my like mission, it's my vision, I must do it, right? Regardless of whether the money is there or not there, all of those things. I'd love to have you speak about what that is like for you personally. Like, is it a tug at your heart? Is it something that you felt or saw? Like, how did you get the call? What was that experience like for you? That's a great question. You know, it just evolved. I'll explain it this way. As I said, the the book allowed me to reflect on a lot of things in life, things that Scrappy and I shared together. But as I began to engage with pet therapy organizations across the country, I would hear their stories. I mean, I knew my stories, but I would hear their stories as well. And from that, I also got involved in public speaking on college campuses and you know, anywhere else that would be interested in learning about pet therapy and our story and our mission. But I began to listen to the students and the students would come back to me and say, you know, we've got to get you on campus. You know, we need to hear this story. We see in pet therapy once in a while, but what you're talking about is really where we need to go. And I would ask why, why is this important to you? And they would tell me about their struggles, you know, not just through COVID and everything else that they had to deal with, but the stress of transitioning from high school to college is a challenge. Mm -hmm. And again, when you go back to the research, there's a 40% national dropout rate of college students in this country right now, 40%. 
And so again, you can kind of run the numbers and that was one of the things I did too. So if you take a look at the financial impact that college institutions are having to deal with, if they're losing 40% of their freshmen and most of this occurs in freshman year, how are the institutions financially managing their situation? They're kind of stuck too. They either have to try to increase the number of freshmen coming in the next year, which means more marketing expenses, or they have to raise tuition, which is very easy for them to do, or they have to cut their own budgets. And so there's a financial impact to the institutions. And my approach and my thought to all this was the dogs are too important to the students. Mm -hmm. They acknowledge that. When a student comes up to me and says, you know, if it wasn't for pet therapy, I probably would have dropped out too. I just have to hear that once. And so now it becomes a matter of how do you convince the administration to implement this type of program? And that's where the frustration comes in mm. that you spoke about, because that's the real challenge. Everybody says we love pet therapy but they've never heard this type of approach. And when they begin to understand the real implications of pet therapy, it truly solves all their issues. So the major issue is insurance. If we're going to have dogs on campus, how do we protect ourselves? Well, the first thing I have to reassure them is that this is not going to be a dog park situation. Pet therapy is a very structured, organized event. It has a purpose, and the purpose is not to exercise your dog. The purpose is to exercise the mental demons and in negative energy that we hold that the dogs are going to release. The second thing about pet therapy is that when you become a certified pet therapy team, part of what you have is insurance. So you're protected, the dog is protected, and everybody that the dog comes in contact with is protected. But it's that process, that certification process that most administrators truly just don't understand really what's involved. And when they begin to understand that these are, in fact, trained animals to accomplish a very specific end result, they begin to understand it. It's just a matter of how do you then implement it on their campus, because every campus has its own atmosphere, mm -hmm. its own brand, if you will. And so they want to make sure that this is going to complement their campus as well. Beautiful. So, Larry, I want to ask, because I'm sure our listeners are curious, because I'm curious. First of all, when Scrappy passed, that like sent you into writing as therapy for you. Did you end up acquiring another dog? Are you a team with another dog or are you now teamed up with all the dogs? <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you said that. Right now, I'm kind of teamed up with all the dogs. You know, that was such an emotional event for me. Mm. Coming up on four years, mm. you know, of, of her passing. But I have reached a point in my life where I've begun to realize through someone that I was interviewing with that I simply need a dog. Mm. It needs to be part of my life. Mm. So I have started that search. 
And so I just have to find the right time. And and I was just looking hours before we, we started our talk. I was online looking. So I'm in that phase. So I want to get a puppy. I want to rescue a puppy and begin the training with, with them very soon. I've got some travel I've got to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that travel is done, then I'll start getting serious about the searching and adoption. Beautiful. I love it. Well, I lost my last pet right at Uh, the beginning of the corona. Like literally, I sent my pet over the rainbow bridge, got on an airplane for a speaking event. Three days into the speaking event, everything got shut down and I came back and there were no groceries on the shelves. uh, And I don't really feel like I had time to grieve the loss of my my kitty. And what you bring here is just the reminder of how powerful and how emotionally supportive animals can be for us and how important it is for humans to have companions in the furry form, companions in the furry form, both working companions as well as simply love partners. Yeah. My my cat was definitely a partner in the medicine that I bring to my clients and, and to the table as well. So we have time for one more question. You're so knowledgeable about, you know, the work that you're here to do and you're so credible. You bring so much credibility, Larry. I'd love to hear if you want to close, maybe can you share a success story of a student that you might have helped or a college that you might have helped to institute your program or maybe even somebody from your scrappy days, would you just share with us one story of success around this idea of pet therapy? Well, yeah, it, it's it's hard to pick one. I'll, I'll be brief, but I'll try to give you two. One was with Scrappy, and I write about it in the book, but Scrappy was so well known at the children's hospital, it wasn't unusual for us to get calls in addition to our normal scheduled visits. But this one particular day, there was, you could hear crying from the opposite end of the hall. And it was a young boy who was about to get his chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And so his mother was with him, and the nurse was there, and the nurse came around and said, Can you? come visit with us first. And we said, absolutely. So the little boy was sitting on one side of Scrappy and I was on the other side. And, you know, he was just bawling until Scrappy came in. Mm -hmm. And he just started petting on her. And he was talking to his mother. He was crying a little bit to her. But when it was all over, he was just that sense of relief just came completely into the room. But the interesting thing that happened was when we left, because the mother gave us, you know, each a hug and a kiss. But then the nurse was standing outside and she was in tears. Mm. And she said, every time I go into his room, he thinks something bad is going to happen. And so that's what pet therapy can really bring to the equation. It can not only calm an immediate situation with a young child getting chemotherapy, but the impact that it has on the family and the nurses is just huge. And we always spent as much time with the nurses as we did with the the patients there at the hospital. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I mentioned earlier about the student who said, I probably would have dropped out if it wasn't for pet therapy. That's just not one story. That's multiple stories. Mm. And again, it's just this is that time of year when exams are going on and the need for pet therapy is just huge. Mm. And so we just have to get more involved and get people engaged because with pet therapy, what you're going to find on college campuses in particular is that not only does it ease mental health, but it offers inclusion. Mm. When people gather around a dog, people of different positions in life, different races, whatever ethnicities Mm. come together. Mm. And that's the beauty of not only pet therapy, but what animals can do. They bring people together Mm. that may not ordinarily engage. Yeah. And that's one of the challenges that administrators have on college campuses is the engagement and getting people to socialize that ordinarily would never socialize. And pet therapy does that. Beautiful. Well, Larry, you're just an extraordinary human being, and I'm so grateful that you came on to the show. Listeners, we do love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's episode by joining our community. Share your takeaways, ask questions, or submit guest suggestions. You can weave your visionary thread into our fabric by opting in on our website at www.leadingvisionariespodcast.com or by interacting with us on social. Look for the handle at Leading Visionaries Podcast across all of the major platforms. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your eyes, ears, and hearts open. And remember, you are here to create conscious change. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Leading Visionaries on Apple Podcasts and share with other people you know who can benefit from today's episode. Leading Visionaries is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leading visionaries who are called to create conscious change and know that now is the best time to welcome wealth and cultivate a web of collaborative support to bring their vision to life. We invite your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of new episodes at leadingvisionariespodcast.com.